0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shakey's Sports Journeys. Uh, you can find <coughs> us by simply searching Shakey's Sports Journeys on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Please do subscribe. Loads of different content from loads of different sports. But I've, uh, being a very keen boxing fan, um, it's an absolute privilege today to welcome to the show legendary boxing promoter, Glasgow boy, which which makes us even all prouder. I welcome Tommy Gilmore. How are you, sir?
1: I'm great. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me on here
0: today. It's it's a pleasure to have you, Tommy. Absolute pleasure to have you. You've flown the flag for Scotland, you know, so many ways. um, And and we're proud of you. So I I really want to pick your brains today and and hear your story. And what I want to do is take you all the way back. So get your memory, get that memory hat on um, and start by just talking about you know, where you were born, where you were brought up, the family, a bit about your childhood.
1: I, I was brought up in, in New Orleans, which is down, down near uh, where the uh, Stadium. Was you know for because that was a very famous place at the time for uh, for boxing taking place, and then the Greyhounds, and then obviously Clyde Football Club. So that was where where I was uh, brought up. Um, we never ever moved; we always stayed up close. Um, because my mother, and f- she came from a very poor background in the east end of Glasgow and Um, and she never wanted to move to the big house in the hill, uh, even though my dad bought her one and she just said she wasn't na- moving. So she was a very humble woman, but a very, very smart, uh, helpful person, very charitable to our pals and everything else. You know, we stayed we stayed in the Oakland and we probably had... Uh, we had a car, and we had a, we had a fridge, and we had a telly, and we, we, we everything like that, you know. So if there was anything on, when it, a way back when in the early fifties, when it was, you know, just a, a wee fourteen or a sixteen inch screen, our pals would come round and watch the telly in our house, you know. So uh, that was it. It, we, it. We 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 came from a very working class background, but I had I would say that. Uh, as compared to all my pals and everything around about it, I was probably, you know, brought up with a wee bit of silver spoon because I never wanted for nothing, thankfully.
0: So you're born into a family that, that already had boxing in the blood. I mean, looking into your story and doing a bit of research, you, 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 know, you weren't the first in the family to, to start the boxing. So was it were you, were you always introduced to that from a young age? No, no, because
1: boxing is such a hard game. That it's one of these sports if you if you want to go into it, we were never encouraged or discouraged. I had an older brother um, there and you know we, we didn't really go. My dad my dad done some boxing, but he had bad eyesight way back in the days when it was it was dreadful when when he had cataracts,
0: right, which yeah.
1: he got for, for an illness when he when he was young. But the whole thing started off 1920. Uh, when my grandfather bought for Great Britain in the in the Olympics, um, oh. and that was the first Olympics after the first World War. So the, when you see pictures of the of the whole British team, everybody, you know, there is more people come to your house party on a Sunday than what the what the the whole team was made up of. But that that was a kind of. Uh, starting thing. My grandfather, he was the champion of Great Britain and Denmark. Now, people will say, well, how did the boy from uh, Street in, in Bridgestone become the champion of Denmark? Well, what, what actually happened in, in those days, if you beat the champion of Denmark, you became the champion of Denmark. The same as when we beat the English in 1967, we became the champions of the world. Right, okay. We took off them. They were not the world champions. We were the world champion. <laughs> so you had that. They, I think they just stole that, they just stole that for for us with the with the boxing. So that was why my grandfather and it was probably late and when he turned pro. Um and he only he only had a few, but it was, it was very successful as 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 his record suggests in, in the, the 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 amateur world.
0: What you weight
1: know, did he what and, weight did he fight at, Tommy? Lightweight. But he he if you seen a picture of him, I mean, he was the most perfect specimen. He had the type of body then that you get the people today having with other sports scientists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But he, my grandfather worked in the shipyards and he, he was um he was what they they called in the shipyards a hodder own. You know, and people people who are uh, no familiar with uh, Glasgow speech. A Hodderone was the, the fella who held the rivets when the riveter was putting them into the ships.
0: Okay.
1: So he, so that made him. He was the guy that held it.
0: So he was a Hodderone. So, I imagine that would have taken some strength and that's why he was the guy uh,
1: who done that. I'm not sure how much they, they actually done because him, him and his great pal in the shipyards when they worked in Fairfield um, they they run the pitch and toss schools. Now, the pitch and toss schools were the gambling, the, the, all the working class men, you know, heads and tails and so forth. So I think they probably spent more, you know, uh, time uh, pitching and tossing than trying to make us the kings of the empire by, by, by building ships, which was maybe thankful for the folk who sailed in ships, you know, but Sam Sammy, Sammy Wilson was his pal. And that was the, the, the beginning of another great, thing because in those days managers couldn't become promoters so when Benny Lynch was turning professional he had spoken to my granddad. but my granddad was a a promoter by this time and couldn't couldn't manage him but his best pal was Sammy Wilson so the very first uh, manager that Benny Lynch had was Sammy Wilson who was my grandfather's pal and then my dad by that time, because my dad Managed his first fighter when he was fourteen, which was 1924, wow. um, and people say, well, every corner had had boys that were, were fighting. You know, they were that that was just after the war. And but my my dad, because his eyesight couldn't have boxed, so he managed his pals, and and he went on where uh, where Lynch and them were, were boxing. But my dad actually managed a fella for for again, uh, Paddy Doherty. Paddy Docker to beat Benny Lynch five times, uh, three times out of five. So, but Paddy Paddy was never he he was just the guy that always had the the he 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 had that he knew how to beat Lynch. Mm -hmm. He wasn't in the same class as Lynch, if you know what I mean. But that was just that was just had his number. number. Just had some players that just got the other's number. He 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 had his number. So. Um, but remember, now we're talking about the twenties, nineteen twenty-four. That was five years before the Boxing Board of Control uh, became a, a body. Because before that, you, you done everything. If you win a, if you win the British title, you win the the National Sporting Club title, and it didn't happen. You didn't win the title unless it was in the National Sporting Club, and and it was all the, you know, there was that great divide, you know. Um, Because the people who went to the to the boxing in the national sporting club were the gentlemen, you know, where where places like St Andrews Sporting Club was founded, and with the black tie and sitting there, and the, the the King would go to the would go to the boxing and so forth. So, 1929, the Boxing Board was founded, and it was all these gentlemen, Lord this and Lord that, and Admiral this and Admiral that, that became. The, the backbone of it when the board started in nineteen twenty nine, but we were there before they were, so uh, <laughs> that that was that that, that was uh, the one thing we played a a, a big part, and you know through the years my my granddad and then my dad in particular, and then when when we got into the seventies, you know uh, more of myself, you know.
0: Yeah, so, so let's talk about let's talk about you then, Tommy. Obviously, your granddad, your dad. Like I said, you've got a great heritage in boxing. When did you start showing the interest, and how did your journey start evolving in boxing? Well, it, 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 probably I was never. I, I, I didn't
1: take out I done like, like all kids through our neighbourhood. all done a wee bit of boxing and so forth, you know. But that 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 was it. But my 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 pencil was always sharper than than anything that I could do with a jab, you know. I I was the boy that. I could count up the wages at the end of the night. Okay. That was that was for my thing. But I never really wanted to manage fighters. Always just wanted to be a promoter. I, I wanted to put on big fights that that people would go and they would shout and scream and sing and and, and I just liked that whole production thing, you know. And because my brother, he used to hold the numbers up, which my dad done a way back in the, in his early days. Way back in the twenties, um, but the my my brother he held up the numbers, you know, before the days of dolly birds. And then when he when he he was seven years older than me, so when he moved on, I went and uh, take over. My my brother used to get um, back then he would get ten and six for for holding up the
0: numbers. Oof, I'd imagine there's a few more bob than that these days for the uh,
1: finger. And that was that was probably making into business when I took over. I was the best, and I didn't work for ten and sixpence, so I got a guinea, which was twice as much. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, you get you get what you pay for. So that that was me I went in, and I got a guinea. And, and I remember one of the times I went in at the end of the night to get paid, and they gave me a pound. And that would only probably be, I would guess, maybe about 10 or something. And I went, no, see, what's that? See, that's your money. That's only a pound. See, don't get a guinea. You owe me a shilling. You owe me another shilling.
0: you oh,
1: yeah. we'll you'll, you'll make up the next thing. You'll make up the next thing. No, no, no. The deal is, I get 21 shillings. I get a guinea. So that's what I'm, and I'm no moving. And they were all queuing up outside all the boxers and everybody to get paid. But I wasn't moving to a goat my
0: guinea. And I got right my guinea. So. Right. Right. So you oh enjoy. absolutely. I'd you imagine know. I'd imagine when you've sat around a few tables making a few fights over the years, you were only leaving the table until, no, no. The, until the deal was done fair, fair, fair and square. And, and right. really.
1: so, so that 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 was that was that was me getting involved. But I played more football when, when I was young and you know, and I was pretty good. Everybody says, or oh, Tommy was a top-class football player. And I, but in Scotland and in and in Glasgow when we played for the Glasgow team and then we went for the Trials for the Scotland teams and so forth. I was all, I was second best. There was a boy there was a boy for uh, Castlemoor, uh, and and he ended up
0: going on to play for Celtic and so forth. So I wasn't bad. But you then, know you were so you were you were at you were at the you were just there or thereabouts. Aye, but, uh, but uh, you know there was there was a lot there was there was other talent that, that was just ahead of you. That sometimes they were, they were just it. better. And this, this fellow wasn't as big as me and everything else. But he could
1: jump higher than me. He could run faster than me. He could do everything. And he was just one of the best players I've have ever seen. But went by the wayside. To, when he went to Celtic and, and never really realised his potential. But he it, it, it was, was, was a great player. So I, so I played wee bits and pieces uh, with amateur teams and stuff like that. But I went out one day, didn't have a bad game, but didn't enjoy it. Don't tell me why we probably even won, but I didn't enjoy it. And I mean, I really don't want to do that again. And I just for that day onwards and I would be what maybe about eighteen or something. And I just didn't want to do it again. And that I walked I walked away for it mm-hmm. for the football. And I ended up I started to learn my trade with it, because 'cause I'd always been in and about the gyms every every weekend with my dad and so forth.
0: Wait, would that be
1: the? Would that be the? The famous St Andrews Sports Club was that part? No, not no, that, part? no that, that Oh, this is this is years and years. That wasn't even a twinkle by then. All right. Well, okay. I, I, I'm going to going way back to to the late fifties and sixties when I started to go to the gym with mm. my dad because Sunday was a great was a great day and we we had um the the Scottish National do down in North Street, down in, the, or in Olympia Street, down in, down at Bridgeton Cross. And that's where everybody met. All the fighters came through all the different gyms and we, we had all the best fighters that my dad had at that time. And there was loads and loads of sparring and that's where I first came across. And the only person I ever I- idolised in the boxing and I've met everybody was Chick Calderwood. And when he was in the dressing room and I, as a youngster I would cut off his... Tapes and so forth at the end, and it was always really nice to me. He was a dear big guy with with most people, but with me, he was never. And, and and that 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 was it. So I I would end up. I was always in and about and watching and learning and seeing what was happening. And then when I took a more serious uh, side to it, and uh, just became a second in the corner, working in the corners, holding up a spit bucket, listening to what was happening, all the all the different. Trainers and managers for all over Britain, and you were just learning, and then you would go to the gym three times a week on a Sunday, and you would work alongside uh, some of the trainers back then. You know, like Donkey Joe and so forth, and you you would you would learn. And my dad was a great teacher. Uh, you know, when there was a problem with the trainers, he, my dad would be, was he would go in with the boxers, and and he would he. Uh, would teach them, and it was very cool and calm, and particularly in corners. I never wanted to be, I, you know, I was, that was my early involvement. But so, I with about 21, I then I then get involved, and in, my dad was still living, and I get involved in doing things for uh, taking a, a, a matchmaker's license, and started making matches for all the different promoters up and down the country. <laughs> And you know, and then I ended up promoting uh shows with one of the trainers that, that was there was Henry Hoy. So Henry and I run run out run some shows together and they they were they were reasonable successful. We would use my dad's fighters and you know, so that but that that started to do it for me. But as I was growing up and holding the numbers up, I used to go to the Kelvin Hall and it would be sometimes it was Peter Keenan shows, but the, the, the person who I admired most as a promoter was Jack Solomons, who for me he you know he was the eternal great showman. And I just wanted to be a big promoter because Jack would was meticulous. When the boxers left the dressing room, he could tell you that it took, you know, 60. Sixty-three seconds to walk through the dressing room to the edge of the ring, and all that. Everything was just perfect, really, aye, perfect. and he would go and change into his white jacket uh, and his and his flower for for the main event and stuff like that. And there was just something magical about about that, uh, and that that that's where I probably got the 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 main bite for doing that because my dad managed fighters. He did. He didn't promote fighters because, as I said in those days, managers couldn't be promoters, which they can now. And I was part of it, but I never agreed with it. But it was just that was how the game was moving. That you know, to 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 be a, to be successful, you had to manage and promote fighters and and so forth. So so we have done that, uh, and then I was still working. I was an engineer, a printing engineer. Um, And I I was doing the boxing in the side uh, as a wee earner. Um, And then my dad died in 1979. But this time I was, I had a manager's license, but I would never ever become a manager because uh, I was never as good as my dad. And I still say that, because he knew more. He knew more about boxing. Than a lover hoped to to achieve, but uh, and I but I was young and enthusiastic, and I was probably bit, I mean I would have been ducking and diving all over the place. But he 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 was my dad, and we, we didn't go against. So he managed fighters, and I I promoted, and we had some oh, almighty rules, you know, at the start, when we started talking, you know. In the days, you know, the boxers would maybe get sixty-five pound or seventy-five pound. And and my dad would want eighty pound. And I would say, You're no getting eighty pound. You're getting sixty-five pound. Oh, and we would have ramies and then he would say, Well, you're only arguing like that because I've taught you well. I went, but you're still not getting it. But, but, but it's worth it. No to me, it's no. And See if you don't like it, your boys off the bill, right? And you know, so we would have almighty ramies, and they never ever says that that's it. But I know, I know that behind my back, he would say uh his pals or whoever he was talking to, his newspaper guys, you know, went, who Thomas is doing okay? Because my family called me Thomas. Yep. Thomas is doing, he, he's, he's doing all right, he'll be bigger than me. Um but my dad only had two two people ever fought for a world title, never managed a world champion, and here was me, you know, that I ended up with six world champions. I ended up with, with promoting an accessor and been involved in, in excess of seventy world championship fights and stuff like that. But I couldn't, I couldn't, have, you know, sold my dad's boots, you know, and it, 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 it was it was always uh, that. But I know that. That, that that's what the, what they're, they're they're going to be doing, and and, and right now that, that we're in talks with that, that there's that the fellow I don't know if if you've maybe seen his, his stuff that uh, bend it like Baxter and bend it like Brat back and stuff like that over well, top he he's right he's drinking a thing, you know that will be about me and Pat Clinton for the world championship with Tommy Gilmer and. Jim Gilmer looking down to make sure that we were doing it all right. So
0: that'll be that'll be that'll be that'll be some peace. But that takes me on quite nicely actually into that conversation because that was your first promotion of a world title fight. It was at the Kelvin Hall, which must have been a dream for you because, like you say, Mister Solomon, you, you you looked up to him and he'd been doing stuff there. So that must have been a dream for you. And the fact it was a world title. But talk to me a wee bit about Pat and your journey with him and leading into that, leading into that. <coughs> Well, what
1: actually happened, I did the manage part to the beginning, it was Buck McCarthy. Um, and Pat had went down, after he came back for the Olympics in Los Angeles, he, went, he signed and he went down. I know his fights mainly were in uh, were in England, and, and he was away, but after a few years, you know, Pat was good because, Pat in the times he, you know, he, he went to Italy and won the European title and got a points verdict against Salvatore Fani. Now, you didn't go to Italy and get... So that was how good Pat Clinton was, but he just needed a wee break. And we're better to have a wee break than among your own people? You know, so when, when he, he's contracting, there was never any um, bad feeling because when, when Pat fought for the world title, I invited his old manager to come and sit at the ringside because he'd done that much to help him. Um, so... When we done, when Pat was looking to, to do something else, and remember, probably Pat Clinton's best years might have been nearly behind him. Uh, as he was getting older and it was getting harder and harder to make eight stone. Uh, but he came to my office at that time in the Albany uh, and he was, he was sent to me by Jim Reynolds, who was a friend of uh, Pat's brother, Michael, uh, at, the, at the Croy Miners. And Jim Reynolds, he was the top uh, football writer at the Herald, and we were great pals and so forth. He said, Are you interested in having Clinton? I said aye. He said uh, because by that time I had, I, I was doing the, the sporting club, I was getting television, I was, you know, I, it was just, it was a great time for for it to be involved in that uh, in the late eighties. I said aye. So Pat and Michael came to see us. And he says, what can you do for you? So I'll get your a world title fight. Uh, Will you? I said, aye. So I ended up, I put him on a show uh, in the St Andrews just to get him, because he hadn't boxed for a long time. And I, and I, and I put him in uh, at, at the sporting club just to get rid of the cobwebs. So I had a couple of fights. And then I got a call one, late one night, because uh, Clinton, It was well up, as I said, Bert MacCarthy, him had done a good job for him, so he was well rated in the in the WBO. So I got a call from Miami, and and they said, uh, Are "You interested in a world title fight for Pat Clinton?" I said, "I will." They were having a convention. Well, you'll need to come it. To so I phoned my pal in London, Paddy Byrne. Now Paddy, Paddy was he was one of the best agents in the world. Great. Long time pal of my dad, Pat. He's still loving. He's in his nineties now, and we, we we still we still keep in. And it was it was, a, it was a, unbelievable. If he didn't know you or you didn't know him, you weren't really in the game, you know. But he, I said they they want me to go to uh, Miami tomorrow. I said, you need to come with me. So. We, we got tickets, we, we didn't know how we were getting there, but we ended up, we flew, I flew down to London, met him at London, had got a couple of tickets, got us to New York, to LaGuardia, and uh, then we managed to get, buy tickets at LaGuardia, to get us to Miami, and we ended up going to the hotel in Miami. And it was all that small, but it was like, you were going to meet the cartel, that, I mean, you were sitting down. And I was only in these days I had black hair, and I kind of I would say a slightly boyish look. And Paddy had he had done everything because he had been the man at the work for Barney's, with McQuiggin, and then Paddy had been everywhere. But they sat down and, they've, and they all knew Paddy, but here was me, and I sat down and we said, "Aye." So we started talking about money. So. I said I, okay we've got a deal. Oh of no, it. we we need we need an extra airfare or whatever. I okay you've got it. That's us got a deal. Oh no, saying we still got a back they, they you'll need to maybe buy him out of this contract. I okay. Because and they, I was enthusiastic because I wanted the world title fight. Mm-hmm. You know? Um and the, I just didn't you were sitting with these guys and I knew, I knew all the bits and pieces because I'd been through contracts and all that with my dad and all through the years. But every time I was getting a deal, they moved the goalpost, mm-hmm. got a deal, I butt, I butt. So eventually I went off and I threw the table up in there and I went, oh, just stick it up your jack so I got up to walk away, and Paddy, because he was near Paddy was very, kind of, uh, could read the situations, and he went, can I do that? I said, I've just done it, it's too late. I've just done it, it's like the, I'm not getting... taking the piss,
0: really, aren't They're the, 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 I
1: am, absolutely. And so I ended up, I just threw the tape, lofty this table with sixes or that was sitting around a bit and I went, off, oh, yeah. And walked out, it. And I says to, to Paddy, right, I'm going to the shopping centre. I said, I'll need to get presents for my, my two kids, Stephanie and Christopher. So he came with me and we went wandering around the big shopping centre in Miami. And then a voice shouted, Paddy, Paddy, you've need to come back again. I said, I'm not going. I said, I'll, I've got... Things to get for the Wains. So, no, no, you'll need to come back. So we went back. And, right, right us. We've got a deal. Says said, no, you've not. I gave you a deal and you told me not. So I'm not doing it. We'll go back to the original deal where for, for you told me in the first instance. We'll go back to that. Pay your own airfare. Get your own airfare out of your own cut. Aye. I said, so that that's the deal on the table and they didn't really want to because because Clinton was number one they would have went to post offers now Cidro Perez couldn't draw his breath because there was no money in Mexico for it we bid for the fight whereas
0: mm-hmm. you uh, had you were going to be able to probably fill out Kelvin Hall aye right, so we were, we were going
1: to do this and I would have done that anyway but I I just didn't you know, I wasn't been taken for a mug, so I ended up, they didn't want to go, so they ended up, they weren't too happy, but it was either take my offer, or we go to purse offers. So, that was it. So we ended up, we'd done the deal, we got our flights back, and I felt like the biggest promoter in the whole world. I was, I was a bee's knees. So, I'm sitting on the plane, flying back to London, and they had the telephones in front of you on the plane. On the really? seat
0: really
1: I, I so they had they had that. So like, Hello speaking to my wife. And I said that's us we've got the world title fight. So she was delighted for me because she'd always backed me all through. But it's her who made me for my, my job in the factory that had that had encouraged me to to. To take the redundancy money and put it on onto a St. Andrews and everything. Much is it going to cost you? I said, I'm a hundred thousand pound. She went, You don't have a hundred thousand <laughs> pound. I had a hundred thousand pound assets, but I didn't have I didn't have a hundred thousand pound in the bank at that time. She said, But we'll make it work. And we did. And I came back. And I went. Glasgow got behind me, and that was a great thing. Glasgow, Glasgow gave me twenty thousand pounds of help, uh, a guarantee against loss. No, they didn't give me money, but they, they, they we we done a deal whereby, because I was always against using taxpayers' money to enhance a person's profits. Mm-hmm. So I said, no, no, it's not the money I'm looking for. I just need you to give me a wee cushion. So that was me doing to only lose 80 grand, right? So they they ended up, they backed me, but in return, I gave them 20% of the profits for every thousand pound that they they guaranteed to give me if we lost. And probably today, if you went through Freedom Information, I am the only person that's ever done anything like that with the council, Could I give the council back money at the end of the fight. Nice. Gave, gave, gave them money. And, and that was a wee bit of kind of pride in me. Could it let me select my principals and not taking taxpayers' money? Because that's know what they're there for. So I ended up, I got them on board. We were sponsored at the, the St Andrew's Sporting Club by uh, Tartan Special. And... Under McEwen's, they sponsored Rangers. Okay. Uh, but ta- Tartan Special, and I'd done all these bits and pieces, but the amount of money that I needed f- from the sponsor, Tartan Special's budget didn't have that. Um, so I- I'd seen the bosses at the Tartan Special, and they went, I will just do it, but the budgets will not be able to pay you for two months or three months. I said, that's all right, don't worry, it's just... I'm putting the things together. So we got that, and then we... BBC Scotland, they were coming in to do it, but with the amount of money that I needed for the sponsor, uh, I needed national television. So uh, we had to deal with London, and they really did not care. Who did he care about? They knew who I was, and we knew they had, had the BBC Scotland contract, but they weren't all that keen. And then they, they ended up they gave me buttons. But if I wouldn't have taken the buttons, I was I couldn't get the national money because we're on it under McCune's lager. So I needed to get national television to secure my sponsorship. Mm-hmm. So I ended up I let them take me down and the, and the guy that took me down is since you know I had so much respect for him, we ended up ahead of the Not just to the BBC, but he headed up uh, the football league with Brian Barwick, a scouser. Brian, he knew everything about sport. He was just... And he was a double-wide scouser. And he just... uh, And we've laughed about it since. (laughs) But he 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 done me a great favour years later when he had retired and he went to the football. That was signing a fighter up in the... In Manchester and then walked Brian Barber. I hadn't seen him for years. And Brian, Brian says to the fighter, You've got a good man there. One of the best and most honest guys I've ever met in my life. And the boy signed with me. And I said to Brian, he says, No, I just said what I wanted to say. But I had had these, I'd always built up these friendships yeah. through through the ages. So I ended up up with me. I got to television and then I always wanted the big banners across Buchanan Street and not around about the town. So I went to Strathclyde Regional Council at that time when it was in the go. Because I didn't even know that you had to get permission for the council, so you just paid for the banners and you could. So they said, right, that's your bit, isn't you? For six weeks before the fight, we will put up all the banners that will say, come to the, come to the boxing. Mm-hmm. So they they done that. Then the Lord Provost, Susan Baird. Um, Susan ended up, she supplied all the kit for for Pat uh, with the Tartan, Glasgow Tartan Shorts, Glasgow Tartan. So the whole community got behind me, everybody. That was a great Celtic man. So Celtic, they sold tickets for the fights. I was very friendly with all the people who were at And they were, that was the first call I got. They said, "Tommy, we want to get behind you. We'll sell, we'll sell the tickets and yeah. the Rangers shop." So a divided, you know, a divided city that all came together because I was one of theirs, and they wanted to help their own son. You know, I think they actually wanted to help Tommy Gilmer, the Glass Region, rather than they wanted to help Pat Clinton. You know, because everybody just got behind it. And then a bombshell. The SFA. They then up a kind of it was a a game that hadn't taken place. So the night that Park was to to fight for the world title, there was a rearranged Celtic game taking place at Park Oh, you think
0: you could have chocolate? Biggest nights in, British, in Scottish boxing for. Fifty odd years and and that just did that so it's right, okay, but could that that is a massive bombshell. So it could the biggest amount of
1: people that are going to be there are going to be Celtic supporters, because that's for Clinton. He trained at Parkhead. I went, Oh, who am I gonna be? So I knew everybody. So I phoned up uh, Celtic and I said, use a plane there. And I said, going to just move the game. And that's too naive or, you know, up my in I mean, going to move the game. And they started laughing at me. Says, that's not how it works. He says you can't do that. You can't. That. Once the SAFA and that and the football league and that, once they've all said that that's it's happening and whoever they were playing, I spoke to them as well. I have it would be a great idea, but... The SFA, they don't, they don't postpone any games for it for us. So why would they do it for you? So I knew they met the SFA as well. And I phoned them, explained the situation. And they went, I've never done that before. I said, Well, I'll tell you. Why no, why no dear They went, I'll tell you what, Tommy. See if you can get Celtic. I can't remember who it was they were playing. See if you can get Celtic to agree to it And you get their opponent to agree to it, we'll agree to it. So Tommy Gilmer is the one and only person that goes to the SFA to cancel a Celtic game for Pat Clinton.
0: <laughs> you know, people talk about promoters sometimes and they, you sometimes get a bit of bad press, you know, that you're, you're you're the Sharks and you're this and you're that and you're just there to take the money. But you travelled to, to London, to New York, to Miami, you flipped the table to make the fight. You came back. You got the whole city behind you. That is a massive bombshell to come in because that would have been an absolute disaster. Because you want your whole city to be behind that fight that night and, and coming on board. And Celtic, as we know, massive club. So the supporters, it would have taken a lot of support away from what would have been watching the fight. Incredible, you know, to hear that story. Incredible to hear that story. But take us to the take us to the night itself then. Well, the night itself, we had but a, a lovely big glossy programme, and every
1: newspaper guy—you know, for John Connell in the Evening Times to Jim uh, Re- Reynolds at the Herald, to Dick Curry at the, the, the every, every newspaper guy in Scotland—I think maybe even Stuart Weir as well—everybody wrote a full-page article in this big, beautiful, coloured, glossy magazine. Uh, and they all done it for nothing. And when they came to the fights, they were there to work, to report the fight, but they brought they brought their wives with them as well. And we got it that everybody, and if you look all around the, the ringside, and Jim Watt, and Ken Buchanan, and Stephen Henry, and all the football players, everybody that was anybody- Was there? Was that, was that my night. Because it didn't did you, need, I didn't did
0: get, What did you get in there
1: that night? Uh, 2075. You Know which because that's all held, <laughs> yeah. So you packed it, you had it packed. Aye, we absolutely sold out. And but we were running so close because it, we had done that. And to t- t- be honest, a lot of the expenses they had running the fights and going back and forward to Los Angeles to Miami, and I, I just pined it because that was my dream. This was, and it's probably selfish to say, this was about me and doing something that I wanted and it didn't matter the money was tiny, and to be honest I've made more money at a sporting club show than I made at Pat Clinton in the world championship but it wasn't about that it was about being doing it at the Kelvin Hall because my grandfather had done there all the big fights I'd seen when I worked with Peter Keenan and Mickey Duff and and Jack Solomon they were at the Kelvin Hall so I wanted to do it, and I didn't want to do it in any bigger place or weird place Then I just wanted to do it in the Kelvin Hall. And all the fancy stuff for the badges and stuff like that. We were running so close with the budget that my wife and my two kids, who were only school ages, we used to sit up after our tea at night, scissors and straighteners. And- Make no, make no these things. So as it was the best that we could do at that particular time, and it was a great family occasion, and it, it was just absolutely magic. And and I probably had after it was all done, and I can I come came down to earth because we'd spent we'd spent the best part of about three months. because I think it was November I had went, and this was taking place in March. So I just lived and dreamt it for all months, and when it was over. It was coming from a high to a low that was unbelievable. every, You know, I wasn't, I just wasn't functioning. I was going into the office, I couldn't function. It was just, it was painful. But if somebody said, would you swap it, you know, to, to, to go back and do something else, not a bit of it. There is no too many people that said, you know, I've had a dream and i fulfilled it. And that was my dream. And all the world titles I was involved in after that. There was never another. You know, it was only there's only one Paddy Clinton as he was And that 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 was what it was about. And it was quite selfish. And my, my son was in the ring with me that night when he won it. And it, it was this marvelous day. We done it as a family, you know, and everybody was shouting and cheering for it. It was great. Absolutely great. It
0: was, it, it, you know, it, to hear listening to your story and hear and I feel like I'm uh, reliving it with you almost because I can see how much passion. I mean, you're sitting here talking about it now, but that back then you must have had sleepless nights. You must have been up to, you know. It sounds like your wife and it was a massive. I read somewhere actually that your wife was a massive. Um, influence and supporting you, but talking to you now, you can see she still had a family. She still had a family. Everyone, right? No, still two kids at school, and 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 she she had to she had to
1: all they think. And all the future was all you know because at, at that time we weren't any poor. You know, we had our own house and we had our car and we went on holidays and all that. But to put up, you know, when you when you say that your house at that time, I think my house cost. 12 and a half or 14 and a half thousand for my house costs. But here I was doing a hundred thousand pounds to run a boxing event. Yeah. She had to be 100% at were back. Uh,
0: and and here, yeah, it worked and I knew it would work, you know. And it, we, ah, you 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 had a vision and and, and you knew what you were.
1: Oh, I, you know, I had, that had to, I had to happen, and, and and we all done it, and everybody, I can't, I can't think of anybody, you know, all my pals that we went about with that, everybody got at the back of it and just supported it, and and you know all the press, because when when the verdict was announced, I think you can see Stuart Weir in it. They jumped up like, you know, like demented football supporters. They were up giving it, Yahoo, they've done it, and they're all, da- all the, the pressmen are all dancing at the ringside. You don't no. see that.
0: Aye. Never before, never since, yeah. you know. But but that was it. I, I bet there was a party in Glasgow that night. Oh, aye, yeah. I
1: spent more on the party than I made profits in the show.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. But again, you again you say it wasn't about it just wasn't wasn't about the money. You you will never ever your kids will never forget. No. Your grandkids will be told about it. You know, it's a it's a it's 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 after fifty years for something like that to take place, you should be you should be always be pretty I'm sure you are. You should be very, very proud of yourself for that and your family and your good, you know, to your wife as well.
1: Very Unbelievable.
0: Risky. Unbelievable. I wish wish I was around to, no. to to witness that was so there, that would have been another ticket. with have sold. <laughs> <laughs> Going forward, then you know you'll never ever achieve. I see what you're saying. there It's hard to top something like that. That that feeling. But you went on. You went on to, to manage and promote six world world title. You had six world champions in total. Just touch on a few of those. Just you know where the fights were, who the fighters were. I but me but was involved with
1: one of the the, the ones in the, who's closest to my to my heart and, and and was so loyal and everything to me was Jawid Kalik. And Jawid, was the nicest guy that you could ever possibly. He, he used to be with Brendan Ingalls.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and then. He left Brendan Ingalls and he came with me and I put him on one of the shows that Barry and I was doing and we had a couple of fights and then we got him a Commonwealth title fight. But then then we got him a world the world title fight. Um and they won that and he, he, But again, I don't know why whether, whether I loved him as much because when I would go down to Nottingham, his dad and his brothers, and they would take me to you know the the restaurant that the, the family would go to, and we would all sit down and eat curries and stuff like that. And if you'd done anything for them, that you you were always thanked. And you know anything you say that that was okay. And that, I, I managed him, and he was managed. It was it was looked after. The trainer down there, Chris Aston, who I went on and, and had you know like uh, Dale Robinson and James Hare, who won a world title and. Mark Hobson and then so forth. So so we had we had not a bad team because I didn't interfere with the trainers unless there was something the matter. I just managed, I just kinda managed fighters and, and promote them and created opportunities for them. But Jav was that, and that was one of the funny stories and the, the reason I've mentioned it, because Jav Jav was a good a good banger. And big, big tall boy was. But he was fighting a guy called Nesterenko a Russian defending his world title. So I, w- I was sitting at ringside as I always do, you know, just in a, a chair that I'm sitting now, and I'm watching it. Things is now going great. And at, at that time, I, I just started to wear glasses and so forth anyway, but uh, but I'm sitting at the ringside and as I said, things is not going to be. And I'm um, always and people would be watching because I would, and I'm, i jumped out my seat. and I would go to the corner, and I'm, I was just a bundle of nerves. Uh, and and it wasn't it was that I wasn't in control, but that's just the way that things affected me. because I got right into it, and then just the eleventh round, Javis went bosh, and he's hitting Nesterenko, and Nesterenko's went down like a pack of cards. And I've went for a sitting position to jump up in the air. Mm -hmm. But as I jumped up in the air, I went... Oh, dear. And the secretary of the boxing board, Simon Block, he went, you better get shouted to the ambulance men, you better get round there. Tommy's taking a heart attack.
0: It was my glasses out of my top pocket. My glasses. You, you even got me there. I was thinking, oh bloody hell. Because- I could feel
1: I could feel my glasses <laughs> moving out my pocket. And then I could feel them moving and I went like to stop my glasses coming out of my pocket.
0: Oh. And they always thought I'd taken a heart attack. <laughs> my goodness. That's a, you, you honestly you had me worried there. You had me you had me going, so did he knock him out? You never got back up. No, so he went that. Was and he down on points at that point in the eleventh?
1: I, I thought, I thought it was just, a, 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 a down. and then, then we took him to South Africa. Well, South Africa no, no known for coming out with too many victories, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he was fighting the, the, their, their guy over there, and I had taken, uh, taken them, taking them out, because, as I said, they were so nice, and so they, had, they had some, were paying for us to go you know, probably Premier economy or whatever. But I said to you, see when we got to uh, South Africa, I said, I'm taking you first class. So I took him out. All the rest of the entourages, trainers and all that. They were, they were sitting. They were sitting back
0: that, was his, that was his reward.
1: So he sat and he went in these big, big seats and sitting there and people asking him, what he would like for his dinner, and but that, but it was as much preparing him for the world title. Because this was this was big, and it was it was uh, when we went over there. But Jav was the nicest guy, and didn't he? Wasn't he an outgoing person? Probably at times lacked a wee bit of confidence in himself. So it was important that he was made to feel that he was the most important guy in the world. So I didn't want to go in business class or that because the very best, for the best champion in the world, was first class. You know, and you could just see, he seen the difference. That that, he started to believe that he was a good fighter. And when we took him to to the hotel, and the, the hotel the promoter had given us a nice suite in Javel out of me. This is bigger than my house. <laughs> I tell you, it was bigger than my house. <laughs> this was massive. And all of a sudden, you know, he could feel that I'm an important guy, but I'm a humble guy. Very, very. He was a very religious boy as well, and the with we, we Jav, but he went out and he he won that fight, stopping the other guy, and he just no Jav never died. If 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 he if a, a really really thick. and and I've got I've got a terribly soft spot for him. And then then he got an MBE, wow. as well, which which was great and. I was just so proud of everything that he'd done. Uh, so so that, that that was one of them. And, you know, and, and then there's other stories, you know, that you that, 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 that had. But they, they're the wee ones that kind of stick my heart, stick my mind right. a wee bit
0: because, you know... You he, he had, he had, had, had a real bond with Pat and, and Jab, it sounds like. As, as things was changing and television was
1: changing and... Barry had lost the, the, the big TV contract and so forth, and people were blowing into Jav's ears to all come, with us. we'll do this for you, we'll do that. Jav's no, he went, Tommy took me to the top. And if, if anything, but at that time, he was starting to, he'd, he'd reached his peak and he was starting to go that way, mm-hmm. and he didn't deserve to go that way. So I had said to him, but I was glad that he took my advice to retire. So retired is the undisputed welterweight champion of the world.
0: Unbelievable!
1: And they can't take that away from you.
0: Can't you take
1: know, he didn't overstay his welcome and everything. And, and also, oh, during that, because his, his brother and him need they, they a taxi company, uh, But I would never ever let him. He went, oh, maybe deal it. No, oh, no, yeah. All the money they earn for the boxing has got to be put away to be kept for a future life when you're finished and, and you know everybody's no one to fate you. You've got to look after your wife and all the kids. And he kept the business, him and his brother. And when he was training, his brother looked after the business. So I knew that he'd done well and he accepted and he didn't he didn't listen to the, the ear hole blows, which you get the day and you go then, and you've had it for time immemorial.
0: That. I like what you said there, Tommy. I like you know, a lot of blood suckers out there that you know want to make that want to make a few few more quid. And I like the fact that you gave them the advice at that point, in the lesson. It's time to, you know, time to me, hang them up. You, you've you've done everything. You've but you've done the pinnacle. You've achieved all the heights. But you could tell obviously that if he goes a bit too far here, things could so you lose but, your leg.
1: You you lose your legacy.
0: You lose your legacy, and he could get and, hurt as well. That's when fighters can get can 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 get hurt. And they are the last people in the world who will admit because a very, very
1: hard thing to do, you know. And you, and you hear them, I was listening to a program last week with, with, with Frank Bruno. See, see when you're used to being in the paper every week, yeah. See, see when you're used to being feted, see when all, all of a sudden the invitations stop coming, or you're no going and doing something, and you're no in the papers, and you're no doing the interviews, it becomes a very lonely place. Yeah. You know, and that that's 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 why people retire and make a comeback, because there's a big void left in their life and they don't know how to fill it. Yeah. You know, so you've got you've got to do it, and that was why it was important. We like and certainly in Jav's case, that he kept his, the business that him and his brother had, so he still he still had an interest, and he still had, but but he was a shy boy anyway, but. He, he was good for the whole community and he's got, if you look up Jabby Khaliq on the, the internet, you'll see how much good that he does for his community and everything everything else, but I've said in a fill out the box in the past time, you called it a day, and I don't like to say it like that. I used to use it, you know, instead of gaining my fight every six weeks, I would make it every six months, so is it the new? I'm, I'm not getting many fights, so I'll just chuck it. Yeah, you know, and and it wasn't for for being cruel because you knew that that they weren't going to get to they were maybe British champions or European champions or World champions, whatever it was, but they weren't going to get that. And they were going to be used as a stepping stone for somebody else.
0: Yeah,
1: but and I fell out with one fighter in particular because I told him it was time to chuck it, and he ended up he went elsewhere, and he got beat with guys that weren't even good enough to spar with him. When so was it was just box. because his time was if he'd let Aye. They bang. don't, they don't, they don't want, because fighters fight, fighters just love to get out and, 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 and do it. Now they become influencers and they become, you know, social media and stuff like that. They've never get things to keep, but w- when you're getting back then it was, it, it, it was difficult and you, you, you got to use it. And I always use the added, you know, try to treat them the way I would like to be treated myself. And I had a soft spot because my grandfather was a boxer. So I was always at the forefront and wanting to know about what was needed for medicals and stuff like that and what they could for, put forward. They never ever said to a fighter, you've got to take a fight. Because see, at the end of the day, he's the guy that's taking the punishment. Aye. So you, can, you should never force anybody into them because and it, boxing is too difficult a situation.
0: Um, to be forced into doing anything,
1: but we're still here.
0: One of the other big things that you did—you mentioned Barry here a few times—so you've obviously done quite a bit of work with with Barry. He's Obviously, you know they built that match room up to to great heights. His son now is is going through got going through the roof. Eddie, he's, he's everywhere and anywhere. He's even working with Canelo now, um, but. One of the big things you did with Barry was you brought Chris Eubank to Glasgow. A wee bit on, wee bit on that story. Oh, the, the, the thing is,
1: and I managed a boxer called Stevie Boyle, who was a British champion. Big puncher. Uh, and Barry had a fella. He'd only just come into the game. I'd, but this time I owned a St Andrew's Sporting Club and I had all these fighters, Stevie Boyle, and... Uh, Ronnie Carroll and, 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 and Drew Docker and Ian McLeod I thought all the, the, the best boxers so I got a call from uh, that Barry wanted to come we'd never met each other in my life before that he had a boxer called Carol Crook and he wanted a British title fight for us and he came he came up and we sat in the old Albany in the, in the restaurant in there and the we, thing we with away and he went, I want to make it. I went, I don't want the fight. He said, oh, well, I, I think that and I'll offer you this amount of money, which was very good money, you know, because Barry was, if Barry, Barry wants something, he'll dig deep. I went, I don't want it. And it was a lot more than, than Boyle was earning at that time. I said, I don't want it. Oh, you'll need to do it. I went, let me tell you. As long as I'm managing Stevie Boyle, you'll no be fighting Carol Crook. No, no, well, that's that. So anyway, we just that was it. was
0: it was the wrong fight for him, Tommy.
1: The wrong right fight. And that'll go in because later on when Boyle and I split up and he went his own way. Barry was then in a position where he made the fight with Stevie Boyle and Carol Crook. Carol Crook won by a canter, no problem. It was just, it was a wrong you fight. That. Just,
0: you know that, you
1: know that. that and I didn't want it, no even for any money. Um, so, that was it. So we had a nice we had a nice lunch and probably a glass of wine or whatever. And he went, he went his way. And then he announced that he was bringing Chris Eubanks to Scotland to fight Tony Thornton. So my pal in Manchester, Jack Trickett, who was, he was probably with Barry. He'd say to Barry, off oh, you're going to, if you're going to Scotland, you need to deal with Tommy Gilmer. And Barry went, <laughs> it, he's a nice enough guy, he says, but pff, it's hard work. <laughs> and he went, Jack says, look, he said, I'm telling you, he said, I knew he's and everything. He says, if you're going to go to Scotland, He's the guy that you've got to see because he knows everybody. He knows everything. You know because remember I had promoted Clint
0: before, so everybody knew that. And because you, the, make the, you I, could make the biggest noise for the fight, you had all the contents. So, so
1: Barry ended up coming to see me, and we agreed what to do, what my involvement in the show would be, and what I was.
0: Right. I'm loving your ringtone there, Tommy. It's no me, it's Stephanie's. <laughs> Stephanie? Yeah.
1: Steph? Oh. I can phone back. Sorry about that.
0: Yeah, you're all right, you're fine. Oh, my,
1: mine's just Scotland the
0: Brave. I was expecting you to start jumping around there. That's a, that's a great one as well. But I like yours as well. But you were, saying, you were aye,
1: so, so so he came and and, and, he, and he, done, uh, he, he, he done, he done a deal with me, for for what we were our involvement, what we would do, what we would provide, and so forth. So we were like helping to manage the show for him. But then he we 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 signed the deal, and then he moved the deal. And, and put it into a bigger setting. So that meant all the numbers didn't add up for me then. So I, I phoned him and I said, you need to come up and see this. You've moved it, you've took it to Hall twice the size or whatever and you've, you've, you've done that. And I, okay, now in the, in the Albany, when you came in, you would come up, we were on the, the mezzanine floor in the, the Albany and when you when you came, there was a big long corridor, you know, maybe 100 yards long or whatever. And my office was at the very bottom here, And I could look down from, if my door was open, I could look down and see people coming in. Now I sat at a nice big desk in my office and so forth. And I had a settee, which was a bit lower. So Barry's a big, big guy, you know, very imposing. So, at that time I was beginning to reckon, because he was always upbeat energetic, energetic. so he had to come in. I went, just sit down there. But my seat was that low, he had to look up to me, you see. I I said, this is no right. He said, all right, okay, what's the matter? So I went, that, that, that and that. That'll uh, be okay. So I shouted to my secretary in the next office. I said, Right, come in, make the changes on the contract. I says, and then it, she so she done that and I said, There you are, Barry, you take that away. And if that's what we have agreed today, sign it and send it back to me. And he just took his pen, went to the back page and signed his name. I said, I said, you never even read that. He said, if you tell me that that, that's okay, I will be okay. And that was that was the last contract that I ever signed him. From then on, we became pals. Mm -hmm. We became family friends. I've been at Eddie and Katie's wedding and they were at Christopher's wedding and stuff like that. We became family friends. We went on holiday together. We just had to, but we're so so different from one another. And that's what, what the beauty is. You know, when I get something in, into my, my head, I've got to, can I, get it done. Get it done. And Barry, Barry was, I was nuts and bolts and sorted things. And he was. Yeah, we'll be
0: all right. We'll get it done. Just- we'll
1: get it done. And if we lost money in one show, we'll get it back next week. And it was great. And, it, and for, for all I was, Good at what I was doing. Um, there was certain confidences that I learned from Barry, and he knew he knew me, and he knew that I was a bloody stubborn Glaswegian Scotsman, you know. <laughs> but so much that everybody stayed at the Albany because I had a deal with the Albany, and so that was that was the fight hotel. As such, but Barry put you banks down at the Crown Plaza, so that you banks and me wouldn't they go head to head, because if Chris would have said something, I would have said no, and then Barry's get he's got to deal with you banks and he's got to deal he's with me. Be, he's meant to be a nightmare to deal with, Aye. and yet he's a sm- smashing guy. But the, the stories I could tell you and the laugh, the laughs that we had. But Barry went. Oh, I've got enough I've got enough to run the business without having to put up we used to. You know, but we we really, you know, I think it was Hugh Kevens or something you used to call it, like Barnum and Bailey, you know, what I mean, and, and with, with Barry. They, they, we just had so much time together. He would go and he would get his sponsors up on the television and I put, I put the fights and that together and he would say, right, we're bidding for this Eubank fight, Wayne jumping and he would send me to Puerto Rico on the Caribbean for a day. Another day we went. The two years went. We went. We went to South Africa for a day. Flew mm-hmm. to, for a day. We flew in, got a shower, jumped in a helicopter, flew to Sun City, done a deal in Sun City because at that time I was I was heavily involved with Baby Jake McLalla and he had you bank. So we done a deal in Sun City, had our lunch in Sun City, flew back down to Johannesburg, had a, had a had another bout tea. Jumped in the plane and came home. Bloody hell. You know, but they were all they were all great things and, and and stuff like that. And when we went to New York, we would fly out in Concord and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So the, it, it was it was great fun to be around. And and also before I had met him at that first meeting, um, I had phoned Ian Doyle, who managed Stephen Henry. And I had said to, to Ian, because Ian's uh, father used to be managed to be my grandfather. So it, it, we knew we knew each other. And I said to him, I've got Barry him coming to see me. What, what's he like? Oh, he says, he's a slippery so-and-so. He <laughs> says, but never worry about getting paid. I said, that's the finest accolade, because there's so many flyby nights out there. And... And I've seen it happening because when Storm Seal went to the wall, Barry, Barry put his, all his own money into to save snooker tournaments and stuff like that. And that's exactly how we've... we've sometimes I owe him money, sometimes he owes money. And we don't bother settling up to, to we sit down with a bottle of wine and write each other a cheque. And I couldn't have wished for anybody better to be associated with He didn't manage my business and I didn't manage his business, but together we had that added bit that we were were great friends with some right, eh, right tear-ups. Oh, Major. Can
0: imagine? Oh,
1: Major. I remember there was something that I wasn't happy with and he wanted to do it and I wasn't happy. And then at that time, it was the early days, so I had the phone in my car and I had... The, the, or, or, the, or the trimmings the, 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 the early time And I phoned his, phoned his Car phone Phoned his office Phoned his house And answer. And by this time I was getting Majorly pissed off You see So I came in And it would only be mid afternoon I said to Veronica my wife I went right Drive me down to the airport Where are you going? I said, I'm going to London I'm going down, I said, he's not answering the phone, I'm going to see him. So, I'm down, and I'd only probably got to Paisley or whatever. And the lad phones me, and he went, hello, how are you doing dude? And And he give me all the... And I went, what do you want? He went, you, you were looking for me? Aye, aye. I said, there He said, where, where are you? I said, I'm in the car. Where are you going? So I'm going to the airport. Are you going somewhere? I said, I'm going to London to see you. I'll no be in. I'll no be in. I said, we'll see when you come out of the house in the morning to get the milk. I'm the guy lying beside it. He went, aye, right, just turn the car around, go back to the house. Have mad passionate love for your wife, and we'll speak later. And he just totally defused me, yeah, absolutely, just annihilated me. And he phoned me that night. Now, what's the trouble with you? You're, you could he always thinks I'm a bit wonky. What's the matter? So I would tell him, "Hi, all right, right, right. We'll just date your way, or whatever. Or here's why I want to date my way, but." Always, we always wanted, but we, we've not, we've never fallen out. Another another time, what, what we done? Because he it got me involved in the snooker and in the darts. Because I was retired, I was wanting to retire when I was fifty-five, and Barry said to me, "You're too young." He says, "You'll climb." He says, "You'll know." I said, Veronica, we I going to do a lot." He meant you did a lot of traveling and now He went, you're too young, so. Uh, I said, I okay, you know, because I would tell him and we would discuss things and he would give me the wisdom that he's got. And he, I mean, I okay. And then, fortunately, then, then then there was a financial crisis where everything was folding up. So, for, for getting, you know, big, uh, you know, uh, Interest rates and so forth. It's like the whole world, we, we all came flat. We weren't skinned, we, we weren't making as much money as we did. So that was that. But he was absolutely right. 55 was too young. So when it came it was 62, and I went, I'm talking about when I was, after the 55, carry on. He says, We've got to get you involved. I said, Yeah, I'm just retiring. I said, I've been doing this for 40 years. No, no. He said, There's a guy, he said, that's coming out of the, snooker, out of the darts, he says, and he says, a good player, he says, a Scotchman, he says, Gary Anderson. Well, I'm being honest, I knew nothing about darts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I knew nothing about Gary Anderson. So he, he says to me, no, no, he says, go and meet the guy. So there was a the, 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 there was a thing at the, the Royal Highland Showground, there was a, the darts there. So, Gary was coming up to see me and so I picked him up at Glasgow airport and before we go to Livingston I was his new manager and again like that we signed a couple of contracts and now we just tolerate one another and we're here you know we're just saying
0: Gary Anderson you're obviously talking about he's now the two-time world champion and I bet you know a bit about the darts now because the the, the, the darts is in, it's incredible. The, the, I mean, I've got mates that go that travel all the way down to the what, what do you call it? The Ali Pali Ali Pali. They travel yeah. down to Paisley weekend down there, travel the, back up. They love
1: it. See, the, thi- the, 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 the thing with that, and I didn't know, and I don't profess to know, but go back a half an hour of when we were talking, see the excitement that I got. We're watching my boxers. That returned to me. Brilliant. With Gary Anderson. It was just me and Gary, and it was just a wee interest and just thing and I didn't allow him to be sponsored by anybody for the first few years cause so, so that nobody could buy him on the cheap. Now, now, now he's, he's a two-time world champion, double Premier League champion and everything like that. But we just got on. And, and, and we we have the same uh, kind of outlook,
0: this kind of grumpy Scottish out, outlook, you know. Barry obviously realised that that would be a match, lovely matchmaking. Could... And and this this is when the thing, he went, no, no, he says, Tommy, you'll have a great time. It,
1: it's, you'll just love it and, it, and, it, and it'll be great. I mean, I okay. And... So he says, and you'll no need to worry about anything. I said, I fine. So then again it went on and I was doing a press conference in, in London and somebody was, it says to me, I said, Oh Barry Hearn. I said, he tells lies. <laughs> so about 20 minutes later, what is, what is this all about? You're saying that I tell lies. I said, so you do. How? What do you mean? I says well, you got me involved in this snooker, or this darts. You got me involved in that, and you told me that it would be completely stress-free. I said, well, it's no. I said, so you're telling me lies. And he went into hysteria, but you wouldn't have seen it hit,
0: hit, hit the internet and all that. Tommy Gilmer says that Barry Hearn tells I lies. That and I thought it might have been something serious, but it was obviously just, you know, <laughs> said in jest. Rather than, <laughs> but it made headlines that you said that Barry Hearn lied to me, and I thought I'll need to ask him about this. You know right.
1: what, no, what, I, that's what, what? That's what it was I about. I said, "Well, you did." I said, "I've got the stresses back." That I said, "I took up the darts." I said, "I said because you told me it'd be stress-free and I would have a load of fun." I said. No, it's no. <laughs> And he found it funny now, but it's amazing how things can be taken out of context. and people oh, can,
0: oh Barry Hearns, Barry Herne tells lies, That's it, you it, know. It's made a headline when really it was uh, just a bit, a bit of banter between two. two it, was a, it was an in-house, it was an in-house joke that, in-house that, that right. made the media and he's on the phone 20 minutes later saying what you calling me a liar for. It's, it, 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 listen, it's been, uh, it's been quite amazing to hear some of your, some, a bit, I mean, I could chat to you, I'm sure, easily for another couple of hours, because you must have <laughs> so many stories to tell, but to hear about your journey, hear about the, the, you know, the Pat Pat Clinton fight, I love that story, to hear about your relationship with Barry Hearn, you know, and the darts as well, how's your, how, how are you keeping, how's your health? Very, very well, the only thing that's
1: killing me, same as everybody else, I'm a, I'm a, This is why I wear these glasses, because I'm kind of Glasgow's answer to Alan Wicker. (laughs) I'm normally away in holidays. When I retired at first, I was away every month of the year, either for a week or a long weekend or a a holiday. And I've been fortunate enough, I've travelled to every corner of the globe except Australia and New
0: Zealand. I've been in both, I've been in both, Tommy. Uh, you definitely need to get yourself out there, but just be ready for a bloody long flight. Aye, well, I've
1: done, I've done Antarctica and the Falkland Islands. I've done, I've done Tahiti. I've done the Far East. I've done all through America, Canada, Alaska, up into the, you know, there isn't a place apart from Australia, and New Zealand. Went to Argentina. Uh, went to went to Brazil. You know, so because Barry went, you're just a tourist. Because I remember we went to Sacramento. He 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 had a fighter f- fighting for the world title. Or that. So him and I went out to Sacramento and we've booked in. And and I went, I said, I'm a i am said, I'm away out, you coming with me? Where are you going? I said, I'm going into old Sacramento. I said, I want to see where the where the saloons were and where they where they tied up the horses. He went, you're just a tourist. And then when I come back, he went like that. He said, Veronica was on the phone, he went, he said, I just tell him, oh, he's away and he travels again. <laughs> he said, look at all up. the places that you that you go to, you know. And uh, I just always wanted to to do it. Because I remember after the, one of the shows in South Africa, I'd, I'd been in the hospital for an operation and I hadn't even been keeping well. Uh, and get a gallbladder removed and so forth. So we, we had this show in South Africa, so I said, right, I'm going to South Africa um, for the fight. I said, and then I'm just flying back. No, no, I said, I've sorted it out. He went, I'm taking you, he says, because you've not been well. I'm taking you. He says, we're going through South Africa. He says, then we've got to stop in Bangkok because I've got a meeting with the TV people. He says, and then we're going on to Hong Kong to see the... F- to see the show that never took place you know that um what was it Bruno and Steve Collins and, all that, and they pulled it the, the day before it I said no I said I'm, I'm, I'm no going I said because I said it's a long way I said on, on flights it's 10 and 12 flights all the time and he went no no I said you come coming, he says and we'll take Eddie with us so Eddie would only be 12 or 14 you know so uh, but we went out to he, he took me out there flew me out first class so I was in the comfort all down to him he picked up the bills for everything uh, he's not the best hotels. And my, the only thing is when, when we go to Bangkok he went I'll be away for tours he says take Eddie out he says uh, and he says you just go shop, laid down a car and a chauffeur and all that for, for me to take Eddie gone looking for all the snide watches,
0: you know. What do you, what do you, just in current times, Eddie's trying to obviously make a big fight just now, That you know, the whole world is, is licking our lips at the prospect of Anthony Joshua fighting against Fury. First of all, do you think the fight gets made? And second of all, what's your prediction on that one? I think the money's going to get made.
1: You know, the fight's going to get made because where else can you get that? Generate 200 million, you know. So that that's going to be. It's not a case of making the matches. That's going to be TV produced. So I I think that it's definitely going to happen because you know they could still fight Fury and, and could fight somebody and Joshua could, and they'll still make X amount of million, but it'll no come anywhere. they will get five five times the amount of money.
0: And they're both right. They're both at the. We see too many fights, Tommy. Maybe with a Pacquiao, for instance, we've seen that five years too late. You know, I don't. I would be sad to see that happen with this one. Now's the time to make it. They're both Aye. at the top of their game. Who win? I could make a case for the two of them. I always found that Aunt
1: Anthony had problems with people who went close to him uh, and stayed close to him because he's such a big enormous guy, you know, and they needed that wee bit. We better leverage. Well,
0: it showed him uh, that rise. It showed that
1: rise. So he, he needed that we better, that half a step so that he could get all the impact. Mm-hmm. So you, you could say that f- for, for Joshua, we, we, um, and with a lot of the styles of the fights you, you see with, with Fury, that he tends to lie in and, and talk to people and, and might, might nullify him. But if, the fight goes at a distance where an Anthony hits you. Yeah, you right. know, you know, but you seen how brave that Fury was when when he got up off the the canvas because you would have I thought he was you uh, would have you would have laid odds that you know it he, he, he was never getting up in a million years, but he got up and he showed it. I think it's an absolutely Fantastic match where you're seeing two guys, as you say, you know, at their peak and 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 deserve. I'm not into all the trash talking, right enough. Right. And, uh, yeah, it sells the fights, doesn't it? But it media, need media, The, 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 people the love it. should sell the fight. You shouldn't no. need to say things about people. You shouldn't need to say things about. Uh, and denigrate each other in, in, in any shape or form. I'm just I'm just no 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 into that. But there again.
0: Um well if you I'm, look at if you look at the Eubank the Ben days, people look people as much as I'd, you know some of it went a bit overboard, there's no doubt about it, but people are just gripped by this hatred between the two of these guys. Aye but the, the, the thing is you was banks just so funny and
1: and and Nigel was so intent, you know, so when we we had these fights up here with Ben and Eubanks, and each of them had their own personalities, but I enjoyed it better then, you know, because when you see them having press conferences now, you know, everything's all for the internet. Yeah. I, like, I like to all, looking back, we, when we have done the Eubanks, that was prior to the internet and stuff like that. And we done Eubanks and Tony Thornton in a, and Eubanks and and uh, the, the, the other guy. They'll get that done. In the other, other line. Uh, you got Eubanks uh, when he when they fought when he fought the Irishman uh, close, very close. And things and people would maybe say, "Oh, you shouldn't do that." But Barry Barry couldn't make the press conference that day, cause he normally w- would lead it off, and I would have the bits and speak about the undercards and so forth. But he said, "No, no, you'd, you would you you telling me that that day and this, so forth." And that's what I'm saying. With a lot of the things and the, the BS and stuff like that, Barry taught me a, a, a lot of that as well. You know what I mean? That uh, he was a the, 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 the ultimate salesman, but. I remember sitting that day and Ray Close was a Mormon
0: okay.
1: from Belfast. And just being, you know, the Glasgow and West of Scotland press, they were all there and the TV was there and the radio was there and, and probably 20 different reporters for all the different newspapers and so forth. And Ray Close, and this is absolute and God's honest truth, Ray Close was asked the question, because remember there were all the troubles in Ireland and what was happening. So he was a Mormon. And one of the West of Scotland press says to him, Are you a Catholic Mormon or a Protestant Mormon? <laughs> now we just thought that this was the funniest, funny thing. Because you could only say, you could only say that. Any West of Scotland. But I mean if you were saying it today for things people are ultra sensitive and ultra woke and everything else, but that was funny for me. You know, the guy's religious beliefs is Mormon and he said you're hey, yeah, Catholic, Protestant, Mormon. And and, and that and Nobody took offense and we all laughed and everything everything else, but they were the beauty of having live press conferences rather than uh, and, and each newspaper would ask their own questions and whereas they're all fear now to ask you know they all want to have their week oh can i get five minutes from here can i get five minutes from there you know rather than just having an open press constant and having a laugh because we made them they were they were fun you know, we made a fuss of the press in the days. We, you know, they would, they would get invited in for a wee boofy and that before the press conference, and then they could do their private things after it. And that's why we got so much good press because we were dominating the back pages in boxing, where the football were in the second back pages and the inside pages. And boxing was a big, big thing away for, the, for, for what I can remember way back in the late 50s, you know, but that was all the fun, I'm not sure whether I would have, I'd make a lot more money than me, yeah. but I'm not sure that if I would have as much fun. Right, Oh, you the, you're right, it's, um,
0: the time, times have changed and you don't, you don't get to see those open banter, the, the UFC still do it a wee bit, the, the MMA, they have like an right. open, and it, get, it does, it, it, it makes for a lot of banter. Uh, but listen Tommy, it's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure. Like I said, I could sit and listen to you chat about. I love my boxing. <laughs> um, I can't wait to get this out there. I'm sure right. I've got many, many, many people, many boxing people in particular that are, are really going to enjoy this. Listening to some of your stories. Well, um, hopefully,
1: hopefully.
0: But you, but you take care, and I'll chat to you. I'll chat to you for a second after I finish here. Right.